three out three clean sheets in 12 games so that's 25% say uh, clean sheet rate Kabaya, uh Kepa is on I believe 10 out of 42 which is pretty much similar about 24% so there's not a massive difference but you see Michelle I'm not there's not I'm a massive not, difference in that I, I, don't, I don't think I'm you can use the clean sheet thing exactly it's, I'm a, not it's, one, it's a main stat bro it's a main stat you can use I'm not saying look I'm not it's saying it's a basic stat really isn't good. it's a basic stat of course and I'm very, not saying very, it doesn't go deep listen, enough listen his box well enough either uh, it, there's, there's a lot of flaws in, in Kepa's game for me and yeah. I think it says everything that if you if you ask someone what is Kepa's strength name me one key strength of his no no one can answer what's funny is if I was to throw another spanner he's not my main guy of course Kepa is the main guy but if I have to say my most disappointing player it's actually Ross Barkley because I think Barkley the thing about Barkley is fair enough if you look at the stats especially post um and we've just never seemed to really get better at it, which, you know, I've, it's hard to really tell unless you're watching every single training session, see what goes on there. But I think for me, there, there is a big issue with leadership in the back line. Eyes on the ball. You already know where it is. It's eyes on the ball with your favourite boy, Daniel. Um, I'm taking the lead on this one today. Darren's obviously not about being a Manchester United fan, as you can guess already through one of the kits that are coming that's coming through on the screen. Today's a Chelsea special. Um, got a few friends that I've made um, through, obviously, this platform and just trying to get more content out there to you guys. Um, but yeah, I'll allow them to introduce themselves before I carry on and speak about what we're going to speak about today. But one by one, just introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Nishal. Uh, I'm a journalist for 90 Min, all things Chelsea, my blog, Nishal's blog. And I do writing, interviewing, podcast videos around Chelsea and everything football. All right, um, I'm James and uh, obviously I've got a Twitter account so I sort of just tweet about football in Chelsea and then um, doing a degree in graphic design so you can find some of my work on my uh, Twitter account which is at FTBLJames underscore. Um, yeah, my name's Adam. I'm sort of new to this whole content generation thing but I work for a digital company where we get quite a lot of professional footballers through the books. We do their marketing and those kind of bits. Bit of a diehard Chelsea fans, couldn't miss out on this one. And um, yeah, just been following the boys since the start. Really like the content they were putting out there, so I wanted to jump in. Yeah, so as on the ball, obviously, before we get into it, I want to say make sure you, you're following us on Instagram and Twitter, all at as on the ball TV. Um, you can see Darren and Josh on the podcast and other episodes as well. Um, but like I said already, today's a Chelsea special. I'd really love to review the season with some of my friends, other Chelsea fans, and get their opinions. And obviously, we're going to agree to disagree on a lot of things and hopefully convince each other on other things. Nishawa and Kepa. <laughs> but yeah, I know Nish what you're talking about. <laughs> but Nishawa, I'm going to come to you first. Just your general thoughts on the season. Anything that stood out to you? Lampard's first year in charge and everything like that. Just general thoughts. What do you think? I mean, I'm very happy with how the season's gone. You know, Frank Lampard coming in, everyone doubted him. No one thought we would get top four, let alone top six for some people. But I had that belief in Frank Lampard from the start. You know, yes, it's his second season of management, but he understands the club, he understands the game. So I had enough trust in him. I think we've had a fantastic season. We have had some lows, you know, bad defeats against Bournemouth and Southampton um, come straight to memory. But the fact we finished in the top four, we've got an FA Cup final coming up and we're still in the Champions League, I think is a fantastic first year for Frank Lampard, especially when you consider we had a transfer ban. We lost Aiden Hazard. We only made a sign in February. So all of these circumstances coming in, you know, you can't not thank and appreciate Frank Lampard for what he's done. And especially with Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech coming in, we're only going to get better from here on. Mm. And even to add to that, I'd say that um, not to take jabs at other teams, but we've literally spent nothing. We've had mm. Kovacic, who we kind of had to buy, because a lot of people were questioning the Kovacic buy at the beginning of the season. Like, we've kind of forgotten about it because of the, the great season he's had. Like, a lot of people were questioning that Kovacic buy, but we kind of had to buy him just for another man in the squad. And Pulisic, obviously, first season, he, he was a signing that we kind of fell in our lap. We didn't think he'll be that great. So I just have to say, based on the fact that he had no signings, it's been a great season, but Adam, what do you think? What are your general thoughts on the season? Yeah, to be to be fair, so a lot of what Nashal has kind of just summed up there. I think 
when you look at, there was a post you put out the other day about how pundits were really looking at Chelsea at the start of the year and the kind of expectations that they had of Frank coming in uh, his first year. People said he wasn't ready to really jump up from going from Derby in the Championships and then be managing one of the biggest teams in England. Um, we obviously had the transfer ban. We couldn't bring anyone in. We lost our best player. There was no real expectation from the guys right at the very top, the expert pundits, to really think that we would be in and around that top four place that would be able to fight for it. Came down to the wire, but I think to be fair with the, the boys that he's brought through, how they've developed throughout the season, um, there's obviously a lot of questions about the defence, and I'm sure we'll come on to that. But I think generally you cannot complain with making the top four. You can't complain with being in an FA Cup final. And fingers crossed, Arsenal will be the bottle jobs that we know they can be again. <laughs> and we'll to win that one. And then if that is the case, you really have got to look at it. It's been a massive, massive success for Frank Lampard, I think. You look at some of the top managerial jobs and what they've done around the country this year, I'd have Frank probably in the top three in terms of have they overachieved in terms of what people expected. I'd probably have Klopp at number one, manager of the year. I can't really argue with that. And then outside of that, Chris Wilder. But outside of that, I think Frank Lampard has been amazing how he's kind of come in and, and took things on his home. But I, I don't think there really could have been a better manager for the job given the circumstances we were in. So. And just before James comes in, I think you touched on a key point as well. It's that expectation. When you look at what everyone thought when the season began, I can't lie to you, um, the second episode, so we've obviously started this um, Eyes on the Ball a year ago tomorrow. Um, the second episode, yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, the second episode, I actually said we'd finish in the top four, but that was just based on me knowing Chelsea always find a way, but I never tr I never truly believed it. And Darren said we'd be lucky to make the top seven. And in my head, that is the truth. I thought we'd be lucky to make the top seven. I didn't envisage Arsenal being this bad, Tottenham being this bad, obviously Wolves, Sheffield United being this good. So like, I just thought we didn't have the squad to compete. And obviously Lampard has come leaps and bounds. But yeah, James, your thoughts on the season? Yeah, it's, it's very, very similar to what's already been said. Um, I think I think we've done a, a fantastic job it's considering all the circumstances around the start of the season and uh, obviously losing Eden Hazard was a was a massive massive blow but obviously it was going to happen but I think he he was about 48% of our of our goals from yeah. under under Sari so to have been able to replace that and actually we've got better in attack I looked at I think expected Chelsea did a did a thread the other day uh, about the season so far and um, we've we've actually gone and improved in terms of attack uh, and our expected goals. I think a, a two a game compared to something like 1.6 from last season. So without Eden Hazard, we seem to be attacking a lot smoother, a lot better and creating a lot of chances, which is only obviously going to improve with Ziyech and Werner and possibly Havertz as well. So yeah, very, very exciting. Um, obviously, the only downside is the defence, which has been a big worry. But I think that can that can be sorted out with with uh, signings and with a bit bit of a better defensive structure. So, but really a really impressive season so far. <laughs> can I touch on the point of um, Hazard quickly? Yeah, go on. I think then, we all, yeah we all knew Hazard was going to leave, and I think Passfit has been a blessing in disguise with the money for one. But like you said, James, with Aiden Hazard, of course he was our star man, but everything had to go through him. We looked flat in attack without him. So mm. everything relied on him for us to score goals, win games. But the advantage we have now is that there's more responsibility for William, for example, Christian Pulisic coming through, Olivier Giroud linking up, Mason Mount. So I think with Aiden Hazard coming out, we've been given the opportunity to more players to take responsibility and come up with the goals. Mm. Yeah, I think it's much more of a system now rather than relying on one player. Yeah. We've got, obviously got mm. so, many, so many players contributing and William's got, I think, 20 goal contributions, the same as Pulisic as well. So that's relatively unheard of for Chelsea. Yeah. Adam, you had a point to make? I think it was pretty much just in line with that, to be honest. I mean, you look at the next step and where we're looking to get to is kind of that Liverpool, that Man City level. And if you look at their teams, you don't certainly think of one name when you think of the team. They've obviously got standout performers and their best player, but they all generally share responsibility. And I think last season, you maybe got a bit of a vibe that we were so reliant on Hazard. And like you say, the, the contributions towards goals, the statistics for it were pretty crazy. It's just nice to see Franks come in and completely kind of change the style of football and the style of football suits all of the players rather than mm. just kind of favouring the one player who, who kind of creates everything, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's all positive stuff, you know. It's and I think it's, it's, it's telling. I mean, of course, the, the, 
key thing or the key theme that was said in everyone's um, like little monologue is the defence. Obviously, we're going to talk about that and we're going to strip it down to the bare bones. But I just wanted to keep it a bit happy before we get into the the actual problems. <laughs> but if you look at the attack, something that is like it's clear that Lampard has improved. William, this is his first double-digit goals in all competitions, and that's not. I don't think that's a coincidence that he's got his first double digits. You've also got Pulisic using double digits. He's got a double-double, I believe. Goals and yeah, assists, 10 and, 10. 10 and 10. So when your wingers are producing, because in today's day and age, in today's football, your wingers need to be scoring goals. I think Lampard has definitely done very, very well in the attacking sense. You've got Giroud, who I think has now got 10 goals as well in all competitions. And then Tammy Abraham, who scored 17. So we've had two wingers with 10 goals and our strikers both had 10 goals and above. Like... It's crazy to think that the season wasn't more comfortable than it should have been. And that's obviously down to the defence, but... There's some reasons there. <laughs> there's some reasons there. But before we get into what I wanted to really discuss, and, and that's about the defence and everything to do with the defence, I wanted to know what you thought or who you thought the player of the season should be. Who, you, who would get your vote? I think we should go in reverse. Let's go with James first. For me, it's uh, Mateo Kovacic. And I, th- I think it's because of just the, the improvement from last season. I think a lot of people questioned, as you said earlier, the, the signing in, the, in this summer, the £40 million F1. A lot of people were saying, is he, is he worth that? Is he, is he really going to improve us? But mm. I think what Lampard's done with him is he's sort of allowed him to be more of who he is rather than being stuck in a sort of a, sort of a, sort of a, sort of a number eight or wasn't he? A bit more advanced, not really in his true position mm. last season. Uh, and now he's playing a bit deeper. He's able to drive forward with the ball, and he's just—he's just sort of come to light. And um, yeah, I, I think Kovacic has been such a key player for us in terms of transitioning from from defence into into attack. And yeah, he's he's really sort of shown a, a lot of quality. And especially against the game against Bayern Munich, I think he was probably the only player that really looks at home. He really looked like he belonged at that level. So I think that says a lot. Definitely, Adam. Yeah, for sure. I think I got two names going on the head. Mateo Kovacic is definitely one of them. I think just mm. the consistency more than anything. He's been so good, and then all those big games, he's always the guy that has turned up throughout all of the big games. I can really think of. Yeah, he's the kind of player you know you could literally get time up in a phone box. You wouldn't be able to tackle him. He's that quick with his feet. You know, when when there's so many teams out there will try and press you and win the ball up high. He's that guy you know you can trust on the ball and he won't get tackled and he'll get past that first line of of the attack, you know, and we've needed that so much when we're trying to play kind of a counter-attacking style, I think. So he's been so impactful to a game. And I mean, the other name I'd definitely throw out there is Mason Mount. I think just, he goes under the radar and I think that's maybe down to his statistics. I think people who don't watch the full 90 of every Chelsea game probably look at him and think he doesn't get the goals and the assists that you would want. But for his first full year in the Premier League and first full year for Chelsea, he has been counted on from Frank Lampard so many times. He's played so many full nights. I think he's had probably maybe outside of Aspel Equator, I haven't got the stats, but the most appearances for Chelsea this year. And there's a reason for that. You know, he really summarises what Lampard's trying to do with this team, which is about the high press. It's about winning the ball in the right areas and then turning it into attack. And I, I think he doesn't really get the credit that a lot of the other players maybe have done. You know, I mean, if Pulisic hadn't had the injuries, I'd maybe throw him in there as well. But for me, it's probably out of Kovacic and Mount. And I think uh, Kovacic maybe just edges it for me, if you're looking at it mm. the whole season. Any, any complaints, Michelle? Or are you going Kovacic? No, no, I completely agree with both guys. As I said yeah. before we went on air, I haven't decided my player of the year yet because I always want to wait for the full season. But completely agree with you, Adam. It's definitely between Mateo Kovacic and Mason Mount. What I appreciate about Mateo Kovacic is how consistent he's been. In a season where we've gone from winning 2-0 against Tottenham to losing 2-0 against Southampton. We've had that inconsistency all year long, losing easy games and winning big ones. Mateo Kovacic has been one of the only real consistent players in there. And I think we've appreciated him a lot more this season, but there have even been some games where he may not have seemed like he stood out, but you watch his performances back and you see him. And like James said, he's at ease. He knows where he is. He's got that space. He's got that freedom in midfield. So he's definitely my main runner for now. But Mason Mount, I mean, as you said, first season in the Premier League, he's played over 50 games, which is just unbelievable. And there have been maybe some performances where he hasn't turned up as much. You know, Bayern Munich, unfortunately, 
he wasn't at that level to play against them. But think of how many games he's been absolutely crucial. You know, Wolves, just on Sunday, is the main example. We needed to win or get a point for the Champions League and he got a goal and assist. You know, at 21 years old, to be doing that in the Chelsea first team is just unbelievable. So it's yeah. definitely between Kovacic and Mount for me. If I, if I throw a spanner in the works, obviously I believe Kovacic will get it and I think... Like my good friend Mayo, also a Chelsea fan, he mm. he said he he made a tweet yesterday and he was saying stats are actually going to kill this game and mm. Kovacic is the epitome of, for me of a player. If you do not watch the full ninety minutes, you will not know what Kovacic actually brings to the table. Yeah. And I think he's like I think he's that good. Like I think he can start in pretty much every lineup, including Liverpool's. Apart from Man City, I actually believe Kovacic could actually start in every team, and that's how good he is in my opinion. But if I throw a spanner in the works. If Pulisic was to now win the FA Cup final for us, obviously it's a huge, it's a huge hypothetical. But I, I believe Pulisic would be my player this season if he was to, um, if he was to win us the FA Cup or to score or be the main guy in that game, which he has been in pretty much every single game since lockdown. And obviously, player of the season goes to the guy who has been consistent as a whole, as a season as a whole. But I will say the injuries—that's a factor. That's not his fault. Um, he's obviously been injured. He's obviously acclimatising to the league, getting roughed up a bit in the league. So I think injuries are obviously going to be a bit more. But also the fact that one key thing that Pulisic has been able to like gain or add to his game at the tender age of 21 is he wins games. He's actually winning Chelsea games right now. And his goals are meaning a lot. His impact on the game, his assists are meaning a lot. And I think that's something we can't take lightly. The fact that someone can win Premier League games, that's something that we should take note of. And I just think... For me personally, obviously contingent on the FA Cup final, but would you disagree with me for saying if Pulisic has a big game, he should be the player of the season? I would disagree. I think he's been fantastic this season. Don't get me wrong. It's been a pleasure to watch him this season, especially since lockdown. Mm. One of the best players. But the problem I have is, I think looking if you watch him in his first half of the season, that doesn't warrant a player of the season for me. Yes, he's been fantastic since the lockdown. He's been brilliant, he's turned up. But there are a lot of occasions from August up until December where he wouldn't be able to cope with, you know, the physicality of the Premier League, which of course he's adapted to now. But at the start, one of my main critiques was he wasn't ready to be up at that level of physicality in English football. I think, yes, the injuries are unfortunate, but he's not been consistent enough over the season. He's not been had his feet on the ground the whole season, unlike Kovacic, unlike Mount. So he's been fantastic, but for this season, he's not my player of the year. Does anyone else have something to add to that? No, I think I'd, I'd agree with Nichelle because I, I remember going to the, the Grimsby game and Pulisic was, was pretty poor. And that was when he was... <laughs> he didn't, he didn't yeah, have a good game. And that was, yeah, he was. Everyone was wondering, okay, this is, this is, this is the, the time now for you to, to push on and really, really uh, give an imprint on the game, but he didn't do it. I think for those first few months, he was adapting to the league and though he had that, that great hat-trick at Burnley. Um, yeah, I, I think it was more of an inconsistent sort of thing before his injury. Uh, you got to remember, he didn't play at all from about around Christmas time until... Until the uh, until the restart, so we had a long a long time out this season. Uh, so for consistency wise, it's got to be Kovacic for me. Uh, it's the exact same for me as well. I think when you're both player of the season, and you say if, if we went on to win the FA Cup and he had the the biggest impact on that, would he go on to win it? I don't know if the votes even been done at this point. Is that even a game that's taken? Not yet. Equation, or? No, not yet. I think they are taking that game into. Um, gotcha. Yeah, I, I still think though, is is as the boys have said, really, it's it's an award that you've got to give for the whole season, you know. And I think Pulisic, after lockdown, has been the player that's really lit lit up this Chelsea team, you know, and and took us to, over the edge really to get that top four place. And you can't deny that. But for the whole season, players like Kovacic have, have been non-stop. I, I can barely remember a bad game for Kovacic, you know. So yeah, um, yeah, you've got to look at the whole season. I think. I think yeah. All in all, I do agree with you guys. I just. I'm just saying take note because after lockdown, mm. I would just say that without Pulisic, we wouldn't have got top four because if you think about the Aston Villa game where we were struggling to score, he comes on and scores. If you think about the Man City game, he was the guy who changed that game. If you think about, um, um, there's another game that he got an assist in that was important. The Norwich game, I believe, to mm. Giroud. About great ball into the box. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So I think there's there's been countless of moments during this lockdown period where I can say that if he wasn't in that team and maybe we had a Pedro or a Barkley to have replaced him, we wouldn't have got... It's, it's, it's a big statement to make, but we might not have made top four without Pulisic in this running. And mm. that's just something... I think, I think what you can say as well is that Tammy was our probably player of the season for the first half, yeah. Pulisic for the second half, but overall, consistency-wise, is Kovacic. Mm. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So out of all the new guys... All the, let's say, first season guys, the young players. So, Billy Gilmore, let's throw Hudson Odoi into the equation. Obviously, it was a stop start season for him. Um, Pulisic, Mason Mount, out of the, Tammy Abraham. Who would you say is number one out of the young guys going forward? Who do you think has the highest ceiling? Actually, let's take Pulisic out of it. I think it's a bit unfair to add Pulisic. But yeah, Mount, Abraham, Billy, Hudson Odoi, lost his cheek. Let's add lost his as well. Reese James as well, yeah. Yeah, I think has the highest ceiling. Well, the way you phrase, yeah, as you say, the highest ceiling is, is different question to maybe who performed best this year. If we're going off this year, Mason Mount's probably made the strongest start as we kind of touched on. But in terms of potential and where they can get to, I think it's so hard to tell after one season. You know, you never mm. completely know. And I mean, especially with someone like Billy Gilmore, who's maybe even a couple of years younger than the other guys who have been thrown into that question. There, you know, I think. Billy Gilmore could really go on and be a superstar. You know, you, you just can't be sure off the back of four or five games or have many play before having that in, injury at the end of the season. Um, I think Mason Mount has shown that the sky is really the limit for him. You know, if he can add goals, more goals to the game and more assists, he, he can go to a crazy kind of level. You know, there's certain bits of his play that that does remind you a little bit in the way that Frank used to play in that attacking position and, and be a um mentored by Frank, you know, he's given him a lot of potential to improve very quick. Reese James is another one. I think Reese James is, it could be a real, real superstar at right back. Um, every time you see him, he looks strong, he looks powerful, he gets up, he gets down. The cross he's got on him is very much like Alexander-Arnold, you know, and you've seen what an impact that he's made to that Liverpool team. So, I think we've got a few names in there that could make a big, big uh, so, yeah. If you're choosing one, who would you? Who would you? It's hard, mate. It's a really, really hard <laughs> question, that. I mean, I've I'm, I'm going to go with Mason Mount, I guess, because yeah. I just think, yeah, if he can have more goals to the game, and I think with consistency and the experience and the age, that will come. I mm. think he'd be a real, real superstar in this team. You know, I think a lot of it depends on playing time as well with the new signings coming in, who's going to still keep getting 90 minutes all the time. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I've Actually, I can see Mason Mount slotting into quite a few of the starting 11s next year still, so I'm going to go with Mason Mount. Michelle? I would agree with Mason Mount, but because I've, we've already spoken enough about Mason Mount, we've said what's good about him, we've kind of covered all of that. I would add Tammy Abraham to that. I think he's got, I think, 17 goals in his debut season, which is just unbelievable. I think one of his best traits is his positioning. He knows, he's got that striker's instinct. He knows where to be. He knows how to score. He knows where the goal is. But on the other hand, you know, he's missed a few chances. There are easier chances he's missed compared to harder goals he's scored. So. I definitely do have a lot of praise for Tammy Abraham. He can be a fantastic striker. Mm. But the only concern I have is A, when will he work on his little flaws? And B, how will the arrival of Timo Werner affect him? That's one of the original problems I had and original concerns I had. You know, will he still be able to develop? Same with all the youth players, you know. Would yeah. Reese James still be able to develop if, I don't know, um, Danny Alves in his prime had come in? Would Mason Mount still be able to develop if Hakim Ziyech and Kai Havertz completely take his position. So all of these players have a hugely high ceiling. They've shown their potential. They've shown where they can improve. And they've got, you know, the whole, they've got a whole lot of potential in front of them. But if these new players are coming in, will they still get to that level? Which is kind of a tangent I've gone on, but it's just something I wonder. Mm. James, what do you think? I, I'm, I'm back in Mason Mount. Mm. I, I think the level that he's shown this season is, is, is really, really impressive for his first season in the Premier League at 2021, he's been this season. Uh, to, to do what he's done is, is very impressive. Uh, and also the mentality that he's got is, is absolutely brilliant. I mean, a lot of these Cobham, Cobham graduates have got a really good mentality and attitude. And I think Mason's been described as a sponge by a lot of, a lot of ex-pros and a lot of people who've, who've worked alongside him. He just absorbs information all the time. He's always looking to learn, always looking to improve. Um, and I, I think he's he's probably got the best mentality out of 
all of these young players and he's got the trust of the manager. He's versatile in where he can play. So I think next season, it's not going to affect him too much, these arrivals of Ziyech and Havertz, because he's still a really, really trusted player for, by Lampard. He can play in their number eight. He can play out wide. He can play as an inverted forward as a 10. He's got so many positions that he can play and Lampard will be flexible and he'll still, he'll still progress, I think. So I think if I had to bank on one, it would be, be Mount. Yeah, I think the consensus is that it's Mason Mount. Um, for me personally, I do think, yeah, Mason Mount. I, the thing that I worry for Reese James is no matter how good Reese James becomes, if Trent doesn't dip, it might be difficult for him to be seen as better. Because I think Trent has kind of been put on this pedestal already, especially with everything that he's won. But I do honestly see Reese James becoming an elite, elite fullback. That's my kind of maybe for us to go with someone else other than Mason Mount. I think Tammy. All my friends know me. I've 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 fluctuated with Tammy. Beginning of the season, I said no way. I think I was a bit on, I was a bit on the side of the Chelsea fan too. Not giving him abuse, but I was annoyed about the penalty miss. And I said that sums it up. Like he's not good enough to be Chelsea striker. Came through the season, obviously scoring goals. And the thing is about Tammy is, he just still wants to do better. Like the attitude is better. Like for someone like Morata, who obviously yeah oversees a broad striker. He thought he could come into the Premier League and kind of be that guy and just come easy to him. But obviously, he found it more difficult. But Tammy, just his attitude actually is really good. If you see the way he celebrates, someone else's goal, you think he's the one who scored. So I think it's really great stuff. But yeah, I think that's all the positives out of the way. But who would you say is the player you expected more from this season? Who do you think had a disappointing season? Who wants to go first? Feel free. I'm, I'm going to go in. I'm going to go. If we're disappointing, is putting it lightly, but Kepa, uh, <laughs> he's been absolutely awful. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think he's 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 really really regressed this season. He had a, I don't think he had an amazing season last season. Anyway, I think he was okay. I don't think he set the world alight uh, as a lot of people think, but he has regressed a lot. Um, he has the, the worst save percentage in Premier League history for players who have played 10, 10 or more games, which is really, really worrying. So 730 out of 730. It's just not, it's so, so poor. Yeah. Um, and I, I think as well, it's his, it's his technique when he goes to save things. I've noticed that you normally see goalkeepers do this little jump, which then gives them momentum to move their feet and then dive to make a yeah. save. But what Kepa seems to do is he jumps up in the air and then stays rooted. He doesn't move. Exactly. I mean, are you, I think there was a there's a stat that I uh, saw yesterday uh, that he's for thirty percent of the goals he's conceded, he's stayed rooted. He hasn't moved mm. at all, which is a really really big problem. I did not for, know that for stat. A goalkeeper. You shouldn't have told me that stat. It's scary. <laughs> it's a scary scary, scary stat. stat. For a goalkeeper to not move, not make any movement at all towards the ball, it's, it's really 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 poor. Um, I don't think he commands his box well enough because either I, it, there's, there's a lot of flaws in, in Kepa's game for me, and yeah. I think it says everything that if you if you ask someone what is Kepa's strength, name me one key strength of his. No, no one can answer. What's funny as well is that I was actually in his first season. I was a big advocate for Kepa, and I was saying his distribution is one of the best. Like, and I maybe I was overstating the fact that his distribution. I think he was a keeper who could play football that uh, that's as far as it went but i was saying distribution wise he's excellent i'd even say his distribution has dropped off this season it's as well. massively massively yeah. dropped off i mean there's so so many times that he just passes straight into the middle of the pitch i think against palace he passed straight to someone i mean city he hit someone in the head at the end of his 18 yard <laughs> box i'm like what are you doing his his distribution's really really dropped off it's, it's pretty, pretty sad to see the, the style of football we play this year compared to sorry just when i think last year you looked at Jorginho and he was kind of, oh, he was always playing in that Sarri team and he was always an available man. And when we looked at Kepa's distribution, he was always someone that he was free, even if, you know, he tried an adventurous pass and it wasn't on, you could always rely that Jorginho was still going to be there. So his stats, his percentages in terms of distribution would always look stronger last year. But as you said, I, I, I don't think there's like one characteristic about him this year that has stood out where you think, yeah, he's quite good at that or it's just been a complete nightmare. Yeah. Mm. Um, maybe just on the topic of Jorginho as well that would be the other name I would put there maybe as a player that's disappointed me this year I think he's gone to show there's a lot of flaws to his game um, he's a man that suits a very certain system 
I mean, he's got no legs in midfield, and when you play in the Premier League, I don't think you can really be one of the absolute top high-pressing teams with Jorginho in there. I just don't think it works. He's been outrun so many times. I remember that Liverpool game when we were getting back into the game and we were four-three, and then Robertson's bursting up the pitch, and he, he just saw Jorginho and he just kicked the ball about 30 yards because he knew that Jorginho was going to be nowhere near. I think that was kind of the prime example of where Jorginho can be great at controlling a game and he could give you a lot. I'm thinking of like the Palace game where we need to control it a bit and even still that game was a bit of a, um, a nervy one but he came on his show control but for all of that he really does struggle with his physicality and he hasn't really advanced from last year. I think he's got worse than last year and I, I don't think he's really going to be at Chelsea next year or, or be part of Frank's plans. Michelle? Yeah, I completely agree with you about Jorginho. He has been disappointing at times, but he hasn't been completely awful. I think he has had times where he's played well, but we have also seen the flaws in his game. And we've also seen that Frank doesn't necessarily need him. You know, he went six games without even playing and only coming on because Billy Gilmore went off injured. So I think he's been a weird player to watch this season. We've definitely seen a different side of him. Now he's not with Maurizio Sarri. In terms of most disappointing player, I mean, I have to agree with James. It's got to be Kepa. I, he's a weird player for me because I still have a liking for him. However frustrating he can be, however bad he has been this season, I do still have a bit of belief in him. And I have a feeling that, you know, he can... I, I've seen him play well, that's the thing. Last season, OK, yes, he was an outstanding. Yes, he was an incredible. But he kept 23 clean sheets, kept 14 in the league alone, which would have got him uh, third in the Golden Glove race this season. He won the Europa League. He played every single game bar one, I think, or bar two. So, yes, it's not been a season at all, but he has been disappointing, you know. We've seen examples of his shot stopping isn't good enough. His distribution isn't good enough. He doesn't command his box. He doesn't save shots. Everything, everything. So he doesn't, he doesn't do everything a goalkeeper should. Should do, literally. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and, it, and it's hard. It's hard to admit when it's a Chelsea player because you know, as I've as I've come out and said previously, I will support him as long as he's a Chelsea player. As long as he plays for my club, I will support him. But clearly, a large part of the fan base is past that point. Do not want to have any sort of feeling towards him, but he's definitely been my most disappointing player of the season, however much it hurts me to say it. I think what it is, is that support is one thing. It's the fact that I, I just think there's, there isn't a great body of work for me to hold on to, for me, for him to warrant my support. The Man City game, for example, I wholeheartedly believe if Willy Caballero comes on in that game, we win that final. And no one could tell me otherwise, because I just believe that psychological factor, Willie being a great penalty shot stopper as well, we win that game. That's one, I hate players who think they know better. Obviously, I, I watched the Mourinho interview where he tried to um, explain that it was probably a breakdown in communication, but I don't think I buy that. It's just terrible, just terrible all round. I just think Kepa, for you to have a safe percentage of what, 53.5%? I think it's something like that. Yeah, it's uh, around 54.5. And then the next best keeper is Jordan Pickford, who in his own right is not really that great of a keeper in my opinion as well. But his shot stopping is about 64.5%. It just shows the levels. A 10-point difference on that type of graphic is crazy for me. In the Premier League, you're starting for one of the best teams in the world, not just in the Premier League, and it's that bad. It's like... The Liverpool game. Perfect example is the Liverpool game. I don't remember him actually making a save in that game. Forget the goals. Fair enough, some of the goals, people were being a bit harsh. The Trent free kick, in my opinion, I just want to see you dive. You know Trent has already scored a free kick against you this season. He scored a free kick like that against Crystal Palace as well. So he often goes for that corner. I don't know what they were doing in training. He must have studied Trent's free kicks. I'm sure he did. And he didn't dive for it. Like It's things like that. Like show some effort, show that you're improving. Let us see what you're actually working on on a week to week basis. I, a friend of mine actually even said to me, and it's something I actually thought about, and there's an argument to be had there that if Willy Caballero was our number one for the whole season, we might have got top four a bit more comfortably than we actually got it in the end. And I don't know what you guys think about that, but that's an argument to be had because I don't believe Willy would be that bad because Willy's actually a good shot stopper. He's just not a agile keeper, and he shouldn't really be your number one at his age mm. as well. So it's, it's things like that. Just it, I just struggle to back Kepa really and truly. And that's what it comes down to. 
Mm. I think the players are struggling as well. Sorry, I'll just quickly say this, but... uh, the, the Liverpool game with that clip where every single it's like five players shouting Kepa, at him. Kepa and he's standing there like oh wait the ball's gone like mm. he doesn't seem to have any awareness of he needs to be coming out and claiming the ball and, and relieving the pressure of his defenders he just doesn't do it at all yeah yeah that Liverpool game was very very frustrating to watch because I looked at the stats afterwards because obviously we conceded five goals he faced seven shots all game and the fact that he conceded five out of seven I mean yes against the champions, against the Champions League holders, the league champions, but five out of seven is just insane. And the point I was going to make with Willy Caballero, he has performed when he's come in. I won't deny that. But the thing is, the certain stats aren't that dissimilar between Kepa, Aditha Balagan and Willy Caballero. Willy has kept three out, three clean sheets in 12 games. So that's 25%, say, uh, clean sheet rate. Caballero, uh, Kepa is on... I believe 10 out of 42, which is pretty much similar, about 24%. So there's not a massive difference. But you see, there. Michelle, I'm not. There's not I'm a massive not, difference I, in that. I, stat. Don't, I don't think I'm you can not, use yeah, the clean sheet thing. Exactly. It's, I'm a, not it's, one, it's a main stat, bro. It's a main stat you can use. I'm not saying, look, I'm not yeah, saying basic that it really isn't good. It's a basic stat, of course. And yeah, I'm not very, saying very, the other, go deep listen, enough. No, listen, I'm not saying the other stats won't go deep enough and show a massive difference. What mm. I'm saying is the main style of clean sheets isn't massively different. They have the same percentage. Yeah, there's a difference between having a, having a clean sheet and then conceding five out of seven shots. Yeah, I think that's no, a very... I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm not denying that because I, I just mentioned that point. But the point I'm yeah. making... No, I just don't think really you can make fair. a clean sheet point. This I don't is, know. I do think it's an important point to make. This is what it comes down to for me, in it, and mm. you can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm going to speak for you, but... When you see Willy in goal and when you mm. see Kepper in goal, you're more nervous when you see Kepper in goal. You just yeah. have a feeling something could happen. So, yeah. um, a team has a chance. There's there's countless of games where I honestly believe Kepper should be making those saves. He gets a hand to everything and he ha- he certainly has weak wrists. It hasn't improved. What's funny is my friend actually said to me after his, I think it was his, was it his debut against Arsenal or his second game? And it will be scored that goal mm. and no one really took note of that goal because we went, we, we went on to win that game and that was last season. But my friend said to me, this guy is not a good keeper. And I, I didn't take him seriously, obviously, because I... But that, that Iwobi goal is literally the highlight of Kepa's Chelsea career because time and time again, gets a hand to it, doesn't save it, or he doesn't die for it, or he just is standing in the wrong position. Everything about Kepa just really, really annoys me. I don't know if you have something to add to that, Adam. Yeah, I've, I've, well, just going back to your point earlier and just kind of debating between Caballero and Kepa, I actually agree with you. I think we would have been uh, more consistent and probably more easily qualified for the Champions League if Caballero was in net all, all year, mainly because he just offers a bit of experience and leadership. And I think we've had a young squad this year that maybe needed a bit of that. And we don't really have the authoritative defence that doesn't need a bit of leadership at the back. And that's what Kepa really lacks. But I think if you look at Frank's situation... There is no way in hell he could have dropped Kepa for the whole season over Caballero when Kepa's cost us £72 million two years ago. And like we all, we all said, last season he wasn't particularly bad. So he had to at least give Kepa that starting spot and assure him and give him the confidence that he was going to be that starting keeper. You look at a 39-year-old Caballero, if you're telling a player that you've signed for £72 million that this guy's going to be starting in front in front of you, how's that going to look? you know, from all sorts of levels, from the board's level, from the fans' level. He had no option, really. He had to play Kepper, I think. But yeah. I agree with you. I think, looking in hindsight now, Caballero would have been a more solid shout with the experience he's got. I'll, I'll come to you with this, James. Um, obviously, we've spoken about Kepper and we've spoken about Jorginho. I mean, I'll leave my thoughts about Jorginho to the side. I think he's just a player in the wrong league. I think he's just not... The Premier League's just not for him. He needs a team where it's literally built around him so he can distribute and things like that so I'll leave Jorginho to the side a bit um, but if I was to throw another spanner he's not my main guy of course Kepa is the main guy but if I was to say my most disappointing player it's actually Ross Barkley because I think Barkley the thing about Barkley is fair enough if you look at the stats especially post um, obviously after the restart I think in all competitions he's got five assists five goals and I think a lot of them came in that in the restart spell I just think he's not good enough. I think he holds on to the ball for two. If he, there was a game, I actually counted every time he got the ball. I counted how many seconds he had. Um, he had the ball 
four and it'd be five seconds and over all the time. He's always spinning. I think Troops called Danny Ceballos one time a spinning bottle, like a bottle cap doing this. And that's what I literally call Ross Barkley as well. I think he does so much on the ball by himself in his own space to then misplace a five-yard pass. And that's my frustration with Ross Barkley. I think he hasn't grown to be the player that everyone predicted to, for him to be since his Everton days. But yeah, what do you think about Ross Barkley, James? I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him the most disappointing just because that's what I expect of him. Mm. I, d- I don't expect a consistent player. Mm. He's shown us in what since he's come in, in January 2018 that he doesn't perform consistently. He has maybe a couple of good games that he'll drop off. He's just not he's not a player that impacts games heavily enough. Um he has had he had a good few he had a good run of games from the restart, didn't he? But then he dropped off slightly and that's just Ross Barkley. Yeah. Does anyone have any disagreements to what I've said about Barkley? I mean not not particularly. I see you you put it in there as just kind of like another name that could be a contender. I don't think you're saying it is the most disappointing player. Yeah. I think there's been flashes of brilliance from Ross that you see. And Definitely. sort of what we were talking about before we came on the chat, why I maybe see him staying at Chelsea next year, because he can come off the bench and give you something different. He can give you a bit of power. He can be that driving force that sometimes the team needs. So, I, I know, I, I wouldn't put him in the most disappointing. I see why there's frustrations from some fans about him and maybe where he has the wrong decision-making. He gets into the right areas of the pitch and then does the wrong thing with the ball. And you're thinking, Christ, Ross, there were so many better options there. But... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not massively against Ross Barkley. I think he's done okay, to be honest. Yeah. Hmm. I'm not Especially against as, as, a, as a squad player. He's, you don't expect yeah. world-beating yeah. stuff from him. And he's disappointing, but... Yeah. You know. Of course. He's a bittersweet player, I think, is the way to describe him. He can be fantastic. I think yeah. the goal against Liverpool epitomised what he can do so well. You know, but... I was actually screaming at him to pass the ball when he was going on that run. So, yeah. He can be that kind of you could You could see in his eyes he was going straight for goal. Yeah. There was only one thing on his mind. But I think he's he's been a bittersweet player throughout his few years. Yes, he struggled with injury at first. And I think he's never really been you know top of a team sheet in the midfield, especially when you've got players like N'Golo Conte, Mateo Kovacic, Jorginho. He's mm. not necessarily going to get in over them. And I think he's another one who lacks consistency, which is a problem with a lot of players. And I think it was James who made a really good point when we spoke a while ago about Barkley. Is that everyone's always demanding he, he gets sold or saying we don't need him. But when he goes for a good run of form, everyone's like, oh, maybe we should keep him. Maybe he is good enough. Yeah. But then he drops down again. So he's a, he's a weird player. I don't think he needs to stay in our team. If he was sold this summer, I wouldn't mind. I'd say thank you for the memories, but so be it. On, yeah. on your way. But he's, he has offered good moments and he has shown what he can do. He just needs to do that at a consistent level and really challenge for a spot in the midfield. Do you guys think he's a very similar player to Ruben Loftus-Cheek in the sense of power and strength is what his main assets no. are? And so, in, in terms of assets, yes, but nowhere near on the level of Ruben Loftus-Cheek. If you choose a player to, if you want a physical midfielder, there's no way in hell you were going to choose Ross Barkley over Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Yeah. I'm just saying that. I think he has got his attributes similar to Ruben. He's good going forward. They're both physical. They can both finish. But if it's a straight um, face-off, for example, over who should be our starting midfielder between Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Ross Barkley, it's hard to say why Ross Barkley has a stake over him because everything Ross Barkley can do, Ruben Loftus-Cheek can do better. And it's as simple as that for me. Yeah. I think I think you're right in terms of they are a similar profile. But I think Ruben's IQ and his decision-making and... And what he, what he does with the ball is it makes him the better player. Mm. Yeah. I think short and sweet, that's perfect. I, I mean, I guess I asked that question because there's probably only the need for one of those squad players next season. We mm. talk about players like Havertz coming in, Ziyech, who will occupy the same position. Mm. Debating kind of who who would you want to be seeing gone from the squad if we need the finance to bring in defenders, for example. He's probably one of those players that you wouldn't say is going to be massively missed given we do have like Loftus-Cheek as backup and players like that then so yeah it's going to be interesting to see in a rebuild who actually who actually makes the cut and who has to be sold for for more funds um it's interesting obviously we mentioned off the cheek he's going to be addressed later on in one of our other questions he's actually the answer to one of my um final questions but um penultimate question is or not even a question something to address um the defense 
think we can all agree whether we play four at the back, whether we play three at the back, five at the back, whatever you want to call it, there's been games we've just looked horrendous. I mean, when it comes to mind, I think Southampton at home, Christmas, uh, Bournemouth at home, Sheffield United recently, Liverpool away. Those are just the games that come to mind. I guess the question I'm throwing out to you guys is, what do we do? Who do we keep? Who's good enough to stay? Things like that, things of that nature. What do we think? I, th- I think if you're looking at the defence, it's th- it's a problem that's between the coaching and the players that we've got. A lot of the players we have aren't really good enough. And I think it was the Villa goal and the I think the first Sheffield United goal yeah. uh, since the restart where Kepa makes a save. Not the best save in the world, but it's a save nonetheless. And the defenders just aren't alert to it. They're not they're not aware of of, of any rebounds at all. And they just stand still, flat-footed, don't move. I think I mean, that was Rudiger and Christensen. Kepa save, so that was probably the issue there. <laughs> yeah, they weren't, they weren't expecting to save. But, yeah, that, I mean, they just, they just don't anticipate. And I, I think that's something you can't actually coach. Mm. You either have that, you have that defensive awareness or you don't. And um, I think Lampard can set up a team with a, with a defensive structure. And I think he can do it better. And I think we need to improve in that aspect. But there's there's elements of, of defending that you can't actually teach. It's something that you either have it or you don't. And a lot of our defenders don't actually have that, I think. I'd say that Rudiger and, and Christensen have been very inconsistent this season. Mm. And they've had good games and they've had really, really poor games. I think Christensen especially. Um, mm. Against Manchester City at home, he was absolutely outstanding. And then the level he's dropped to since then is is, is quite staggering, actually, yeah. to see how far he's fallen. Um, so, for me, Zuma's been, has come out as the best centre-back from this season. So, he's he's one I definitely, definitely keep around. Mm. Um, as yeah. for left-backs, left I think I wouldn't mind it seeing either of them go. I think I'd ship off Emerson first, purely because Alonso is a bit more versatile in terms of we can switch to a back three and he, he could play a role there. But Emerson for me has to go, um, and I wouldn't. I would. I'd love to see Rudiger shoot off, but I don't think that's likely. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I feel I like Lampard has a soft spot for him for some strange reason. Mm. But yeah, I don't know. I can't see Rudiger going. Yeah, the problem with our defense and the one I've always had is that we don't know who our strongest defense is. I've made mm-hmm. this point so many times this season. When we ask who our best centre back is, yeah, James said Zuma, but not one centre back really has a strong claim to be in levels above the rest. Even our fullbacks, we don't necessarily know our best pairing. Should Alonso play or should we move Aspi over? Should Reese be playing or should Aspi stay in that right back position? I think it's a personnel issue. It's hard to say because last season we did see these signs of flaws in defence, you know, with Rudiger and Louise. It was a really weird defensive partnership. They could be awful at times but they could also keep clean sheets against the very top team. Mm. So it's a very topsy-turvy defensive partnership. But this season, like you said, it's just not been good enough. I think Sheffield United, there were two goals, I think, where Rudiger and Christensen, they both reacted at the same time, but just leant forward and they just, they were nowhere near it. Yeah. And it's been too many individual mistakes, too much lack class to mark and too bad from set pieces, not good enough from free kicks and a wealth of problems that we can pick out and go on in defence. For me, we need to bring in a left-back and we need to bring in a centre-back. As I've said before, Kalidou Koulibaly would be my choice. It's not the um, most likely one and it's quite unlikely, to be honest, but I would love him at Chelsea. Left-back, at this point, I wouldn't mind if it's Nicola Taliafico from Ajax or Ben Chill, one from Leicester. Let's be honest, either of them are better than Alonso or Emerson. And we need to improve it in defence. However much we're going to spend in attack, however much we're going to spend in midfield, we need to buy at least one defender or we will not be able to challenge for the title next season. I wouldn't wouldn't go for Koulibaly personally. Mm. I think uh, ADL is going to want over 100 million euros for a a 29-year-old centre-back who's coming off a relatively average season for his standards, going to have to adapt to a a new league. Uh, And we've seen that sometimes defenders that look pretty solid in Serie A come over and they don't do as well with the pace of the Premier League. So I think Koulibaly at, at that age and at that price is a really, really mm. risky signing for us. Yeah. I'd be, be uh, more inclined to go for someone uh, like Declan Rice who can who can offer 
a lot at centre-back and at defensive midfield, which is what Lampard likes in terms of versatility in a player as well. Yeah. Um, and then Tagliafico for me is the, is the left-back. Before I come to you, Adam, I think, yeah, you touched on two points, um, Nichelle and James. I think what it comes down to for me is I don't even care how good technically you are as a centre-back. If you can't defend, I don't want you playing for my team. Like, the thing about Zuma is I've complained about the way he looks when he passes. He sometimes looks unorthodox. I think in all games he does that, but I think one of the telling games was the Man United game, first game of the season. Just looked very, very uncomfortable on the ball. When you, when you have bundles of possession, you're trying to play out of the back. Zuma's not really the centre-back you want under pressure playing out of the back, if that makes sense. Um, I think the forgotten man, really and truly, is Fikayo Tomori. I think he, in my opinion, obviously it's a bit of a stretch for me to say he's the best centre-back, but I think he has the best ceiling or the best potential to be the best centre-back. I think he's technically sound. I think he only had one bad game this season, if we're being honest, and that was the Bournemouth game, um, when I think back to it. Um, and I just think he can defend. Like, he's a good defender. I just want to... Coming to you, Adam, obviously, I just don't understand why we're so bad from corners. We've got Tammy Abraham, six foot. You've got Ruben Loftus-Cheek. You've got Rudiger. You've got Zuma. You've got Christensen. You've got Reese James. You even got... You could even throw Aspi in there because he puts himself about. Why are we so bad from corners? Obviously, it must come down to coaching, Adam. Like, I think that's probably what you're going to say, but it's, it's inexcusable, really. Yeah. Well, there is that element too. Of course, coaching, that's the stuff you work on the training pitch, and it's set pieces, and they should be better prepared given that all season has been highlighted as an issue. You'd have thought we'd get to the stages post-lockdown and we would have improved on this stuff, you know? And we've just never seemed to really get better at it, which, you know, I've, it's hard to really tell unless you're watching every single training session to see what goes on there. But I think for me, there, there is a big issue with leadership at the back line as well. Mm. I know Aspilicueta is our captain, he's certainly the biggest leader we've got back there, but you don't really see him as like an authoritative John Terry, even Gary Cahill kind of character at the back. I mm. think he's a little more soft-spoken and maybe doesn't lead players within set pieces as you should do, even when you're watching games, he's not very vocal, not very verbal when you see him um, when we're defending set pieces. But I, I think it's just generally a, a lack of competency to be a good enough Chelsea defender within that team. I think that runs across the goalkeeper, the centre-backs, even with our left-backs, they're not good enough defensively. We're talking about who we'd keep and who we'd sell. For me, if you're going through the whole back line, I'd keep Alonso because, as, as James kind of touched on, he works in a back three, he gives us that versatility, a different formation. I think he actually works, he's a very good left wing-back, but as a left-back, he's absolutely shocking. So I would keep him for the extra option. Um, yeah. But as the centre-backs, Christensen really frustrates me. I, yeah. I think he's too weak. I don't think he's got enough assets about him. Um, I mean, he looks the, probably the most comfortable on the ball out of all the Chelsea centre-backs, but I think that's about all he's got. And as a, when we're looking at why we're conceding so many goals, it's because we don't have enough defenders that can defend. So for me, I would, um, in an ideal world, want to keep Zuma, I'd want to keep... Tamori, because you say Tamori's got a big ceiling, he can progress a lot, he's still very young. Mm. And um, I don't know if Rudiger's good enough. I think Rudiger has the potential to be a good leader because that's how he comes across. He does come across like a bit of a leader, but yeah. I just don't know if he's good enough. And the same really applies with Christian, so I, I don't think he's a good enough defender. So I'd certainly, in an ideal world, want to see those two go. And in terms of who you'd bring in, I think Ben Chilwell, for me, is a player that Frank Lampard seems to really want. And even if you could get a Tagliafico for a lot cheaper, I think Chilwell is proven in the Prem. He'd be the desired player. And ultimately, you want the board to sign players that Lampard has said quite firmly, I want him. Mm. You know, there's a reason that they haven't gone for someone like Tagliafico or Tello straight away. Because Frank's obviously said to the board, this is the man that I really want. So they're trying to pursue him first. Yeah. And in terms of centre-backs, there's a few names knocking about. Koulibaly's the one that you know has probably got the most pristine and the most experienced in terms of always performing at that top level but kind of similar to James I agree that I think Declan Rice would be a good signing if you look at a team like uh, Man City and Liverpool again I keep using them as the examples but that's kind of what we're striving to become they've got Fabinho and Fernandinho at both clubs who can both play CDM or centre-back and there's been a lot of games where they've run short of centre-back options and they're more comfortable to shift those two into a centre-back than bring some of the the less consistent centre-backs in uh, throughout the year. So I think yeah. he'd be a good signing for us, to be honest. 
Yeah, I think you made some good points. Um, just so that I can get to the final question and we can wrap it up. Um, I think, yeah, personally, everyone's touched on the guys that I think in an ideal world would be sold. Obviously, we've spoken about Kepa. I think, yeah, I think this season was the last straw in my book and in a lot of Chelsea fans' book. I don't think giving him another season, another chance really makes any sense in terms of pushing on and trying to solidify top four. Um, Centre-backs wise, yeah, Tomori, Zuma are kind of the ones that um, come to light. I think you get Rudiger and then you buy one more centre-back. Um, Declan Rice, obviously, that's a good name, good shout. I think an interesting name and an interesting option, who I believe actually could take a step into that next category is actually um, Soyonchu for Leicester. I think he's he has a claim to be probably the third best centre-back this year, um, arguably. Um, so, yeah, I think that... For the centre-back role, I don't think there's a lot of options. And when you look at Ben Chilwell and Declan Rice, I've always said and said to all my Chelsea fans that if if they're asking for 80 million, 80 plus million for these players, yeah. should we really be spending 80 million on Ben Chilwell? I don't think so. I, I, I just really don't want to spend 80 million on Chilwell and risk him not being good, if that makes sense. Yeah, mm. I think Tagliafico for what I think it's reported 22, 22 million, 2.4 so is makes so so much more sense than 80 million for for Chilwo. Leicester aren't going to back down. We saw that with Maguire. Yeah, they didn't back down at all. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if, if you're talking about where should money go, if you're making one big marquee signing, say outside of Havertz, I'd rather spend that money on a really really solid goalkeeper. Um, I think that's a position. Oblak. Most. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we won't get all black though. Yeah, but, definitely not. <laughs> You're not going to be landing all black with a chill, are you? And as you say, I don't think we're still going to get all black regardless. But yeah. I would much rather see us spend a silly amount of money on all black than a silly amount of money on chill. Well, the one reason you'd want chill to come in is that maybe he's Premier League proven and he's someone that Frank has really showed that he likes a lot. So, yeah, yeah so it's an interesting debate to go on for all night with that one, I guess. But yeah. it needs to be made, I guess, bottom line. I wouldn't mind spending on chill to be honest of course I prefer Tagliafico he's cheaper I think he's a better left back but if have we can sign a play for 80 million sorry, sorry? Have, you, have you guys seen Tagliafico play because I guess the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. we've seen too much of Tagliafico as well I mean I've not watched the Dutch league religi- religiously but um, I've obviously seen him in the Champions League watched all their yeah. games in that run from 18-19 uh, and then obviously I, I saw him live in the at Stamford Bridge this season um, so I, I, I'm impressed with him yeah yeah I agree about um, my point with Chilwell is 80 million yes it's a huge amount of money but if that money's going to fix our defence which it could it may not fix our defence overnight by saying signing Ben Chilwell but if we did spend about 80 million pounds and a significantly improved our back line I would have no complaints but just to you know, stop yes, you there what, what to, just hmm. to stop you there that's the key though if you buy Ben Chilwell for 80, 90 million you bring him into a defence that's half ready, all eyes are going to be on Ben Chilwell. And I don't think that's good for him, especially for his age. Like, coming into a big team, you're expected to hit hit the ground running, especially because you're already in the Premier League. There's going to be loads of pressure on him. I'd rather him come into a situation where I believe we're getting a left-back, we're getting a centre-back, and we're saying this is the back four to potentially compete, if that makes sense. No, I completely get what you mean. But I think, yes, it could be pressure, and yes, there's definitely a lot more advantages to Tagliafico, the main one being price. But my overriding point is I wouldn't mind if Ben Chilwell came in. That's, yeah. that's just me generally. Yeah. No, I, think, I think it just depends on if, if we sign Ben Chilwell, how much can we improve in other areas? Yeah. And I think mm. that's why Tagliafico for me is the standout one. Exactly, yeah. Do you think Chilwell's just... price will drop at all because they missed Champions League? Mm, I think, I think what, the lowest point about Maguire... The point about Maguire makes sense, though. Right? But he didn't drop from 80 million, they got their money. Yeah. And obviously, Brendan Rodgers said, we don't want to sell him. So I can't see them dropping much. We have no. to either, unless we offer a swap deal, but I don't think Leicester would want a lot I don't think there's anyone they'd be interested in, to be honest. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, man, um, obviously, again, I appreciate you guys. We're getting to the end of today's episode. The last question for the Chelsea review. Um, I think I'll take, I'll, I'll hit, um, hit the floor running for this one. Um, the player I expect or the player you expect always under the most pressure. Let me let me rephrase it. The player under the most pressure to produce next season. 
to try and get into the team, get into the starting eleven, and actually push on from the season that they've had. And the player that I believe is like head and shoulders above the rest is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Obviously, he's come back off the probably the worst injury in sports, an Achilles injury, one of the worst. And I think it was a, I think it's unfair to call it an underwhelming season, but it was an underwhelming season to say the least. If we want to call a spade a spade, um, when he came back from injury, obviously. That's an injury where you're trying to feed your way back into it. But he was looking very, very timid. Didn't really go into challenges. Every time he got tackled, you'd like, hold your breath because um, you thought he'd maybe be injured. I think he's... I don't want him to go down the line of being an injury-prone player, but he's kind of going down that line. Um, yeah, but the thing about Ruben Loftus-Cheek is if you get the best version of Ruben, he is a world-beater. Like He's one of the best players you'd see in the Premier League on a week-to-week basis. So... Yeah, he's he's under a lot of pressure, especially if Havertz comes in. He nails that. Havertz nails down the spot straight away. So there's really and truly only one eight spot if we um, stick with that four three three. There's one eight spot available, and mm. he's gonna have to do a lot of work to get that spot. Do you see that being the formation next year? By the way, four three three again. I think so. Oh, I think so. Yeah, the, mm. the six of Kante and then two eights. I think that's the formation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I think you can tell with who we're signing as well. The fact that we're getting in Havertz, who can play that attacking eight role, yeah. Kovacic can play there if we want to go slightly more defensive. So I think four three three is is the main sort of thing. Yeah. And that's why he's put Kante back at, at that sixth position, sort of trialing him there for the first yeah, time in his career. It's, it's yeah, sort of like a replication a little bit of what Man City have done with a very attacking four three three. And so yeah. Bruyne and Silva there that are constantly. If they lose the ball, you see how quick they win it back. And that's yeah. why players like Mount, I think, are going to do so well and so important to Lampard's system. Because he is like that. He's one of the best yeah. defensive players we've probably got from that attacking sense. So, yeah, it probably is a 4 3 3, but it's not a sort of conventional 4 3 3 as you think of it, isn't it? It's very- yeah, Lampard's yeah. very, very attacking. So it will be, mm. I think, the 2 8s, he'll, he'll try and use that as much as he can. Yeah, but in terms of addressing the question, who's under the most pressure for you, Adam? Let's go with you, Adam, first. Um, yeah, I mean, a couple of the young players now that have been doing it for a couple of years. You said Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I completely agree with everything you say there. I think he's he's got to take on a big step now to really stand out in a team where we've signed a lot of players in his position. Another name you could put in there is Callum Hudson-Odoi. Um, I think he's had his injuries this year, he's had his problems, but when he's played, he hasn't really looked like the same player as last season when we were getting the rumours with Bayern Munich wanting to sign him. And at that point, I personally thought, oh, we, we can't let him go to Bayern Munich. We need to hold on to him, whatever price they really offer up. Mm. You look at that player now, and if we were to be offered, say, 50, 60 million, <laughs> you maybe think that might be worth taking. So I think he needs to. He needs to just show that progression that he showed in his, his season last year, get that back on track. There's a few rumours that go about that he's not getting enough playing time. I don't know if that's down to his agent or you know, what, what they're trying to really push there. But um, I certainly think that he, sh- he shouldn't really sulk on it. He just needs to improve as a player and needs to show that he's good enough to start for Chelsea because ultimately he hasn't been good enough to start this year. Mm. So it's a big one for him. Michelle? I would, I would choose three players who I think are under the most pressure for next season, one from each position. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I agree, in midfield, because I'm just going to quickly say as well, the injury, I mean, we can't blame his yeah. season. We say, oh, he was underwhelmed. He was injured for 30 yeah, yeah, months. Yeah, 100%, 100%, yeah. And, but the thing is, I think last season, he was on the same sort of level and same sort of preference to Mauricio Sarri as Jorginho, Kovacic and Kante. And they were all in that same sort of sphere. It was a hard decision to choose who to start. Whereas this season, because he was be- he was injured for so long, Kovacic and Jorginho were the main ones who had more of a stake in the starting lineups too. Ruben Loftus-Cheek is one to get into midfield. Callum Hudson-Odoi, I completely agree as well, you know, with Timo Werner coming in, he can play out wide. Hakim Ziyech as well in those attacking positions. And then you've got William if he stays. Hudson-Odoi definitely has a lot to prove, whether it's getting back into the team or being uh, settled as a rotation player. But I think the main one for me is Tammy Abraham. He's our mm. top goal scorer this season. But we're signing the most prolific German player all season. We're si- we've just signed the second most prolific player in the entire Bundesliga. That is tough competition for Tammy Abraham. And as I've said, you know, when Timo Werner came there, when he was linked, I said, look, I love him. I'd happily take him. But I do worry for Tammy Abraham. Is he still going to be in the squad? Is he still going to be that main target man? Will he still be our number nine? It's hard to know. And he's going to have a huge task ahead of him next season. So he's definitely the one for me 
Mm. If I had to choose one out of those three, it would be Tammy Abraham who's under the most pressure. Yeah. James? Yeah, I was about to say Tammy Abraham as well. Yeah. I, I think since since the restart, he's not shown me that he's a striker that's realises that he's behind Giroud and he's got he needs to play for his place with Werner coming in. I think at the minute he's going into next season as probably the third choice striker. Yeah. So for our for our top scorer to be going into next season as basically the, the bottom choice for the striking position. Um, You're not counting Bachelor anymore then. <laughs> I, I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, I, I think he's got a lot to prove in terms of if he can get past uh, Timo Werner because maybe Werner needs a time, time to settle in, but if Tammy can step up, then then maybe he gets playing time. But I, I think he does need to prove that he's worthy of getting past Giroud, which he hasn't managed to do since the restart. Mm. Um, and then obviously Timo Werner is a massive, massive competition for him. So I think Tammy's under a lot of pressure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But yeah, again, guys, I want to say thank you for coming on today. Actually, last question. Just one uh, quick, quick fire round. One answer, one number. If you were to give us um, any chance of winning the Premier League in the near future, how many years do you think it will take Lampard? Nishal? Two. James? Two. Adam? I'm going to be optimistic to say one. Let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope so. Let's hope so. But yeah, again, guys, I want to say thank you for coming on um, Eyes on the Ball Chelsea special. I hope you enjoy it. Um, going to be having another Man United special. Going to have an Arsenal special. A lot of end of, end of season stuff. Um, watch out for this episode. It's coming out this week. Um, tomorrow we've got another episode coming out and that's our end of season awards um, where we pick our player of the season, our team of the season, most improved player of the season as well and most disappointing player as a whole. And we picked the best player to be going down from a relegated team. And yeah, so look out for a lot more episodes, a lot more content coming to you soon. Appreciate it.